0: The Food Radio Project.
1: For the mountain dwelling communities of the central Himalayas, severe climate change impacts are not some distant threat. They are already here. Several studies have found that mountains are heating up nearly twice as fast as the rest of the world. It's something that climate scientists call elevation dependent warming. Hill agriculture used to be marginal, but it's becoming even more unproductive. In what's considered a mass migration problem within the country, men in Uttarakhand are leaving the hills in search of work. So it's mostly women working the land. Climate change isn't the only reason, but it certainly is a contributing factor. I'm Amrita Gupta, and a few months ago I spent some time in Uttarakhand. I met with farmers, scientists, activists, researchers, and policy experts to understand how the people here are trying to adapt. Some believe that the farming crisis in the hills must be solved with technology and modern advances, like the government scientists from the Indian Council of Agricultural Research in Almora.
0: Uh, you might have uh, heard about the uh, 1960s, when there was a uh, ship to mouth, we used to tell. Think uh, if science was not there, then today also we would have been in that situation. That's all I can tell.
1: That was Lakshmikand, head of the Crop Improvement Division at ICAR VPKAS. He's referring to the fact that just decades ago, India used to be dependent on international food aid. But the Green Revolution of the 1960s saw the country adopt high-yielding varieties of rice and wheat and industrial farming techniques. Without it, he said, India's five-fold increase in food production wouldn't have been possible.
0: You see, you should, uh, when you are talking about quantum yield, uh, you should consider plant as a factory. They are a biological factory. In any factory, you need to put inputs.
1: The inputs he's talking about include synthetic fertilizers and chemical pesticides and irrigation, the hallmarks of conventional agriculture. Environmental activist Vandana Shiva who started her work in Uttarakhand, has been a vocal critic of this approach.
0: Why are people continuing to do the Green Revolution knee-jerk response? Because they see agriculture as a victim and they see every solution in chemical agriculture. That's why they say, oh, a problem, new seeds.
1: I met with Shiva briefly when I visited her organic farm, Navdanya. It's close to Dehradun, the state's capital, Shiva has long maintained that the Green Revolution's impact on soil health, biodiversity and seed sovereignty have far outweighed its benefits. The government might finally be talking about how to cope with climate change. But in her mind, there's a big gap in the conversation.
0: There is no understanding of what makes agriculture vulnerable. There's no understanding of what builds resilience. This is not even vocabulary in the discussion. There is zero money in the national climate mission for climate resilience through indigenous diversity.
1: Shiva's own mission has been to conserve that biodiversity. In the past three decades, Navdanya has saved something like 5,000 indigenous crop varieties across the country, many of which are flood-tolerant and salt-tolerant, drought-tolerant. The answer to climate resilience isn't going to be found in the labs, she says.
0: Over the years, it started to become very clear that while what we were doing was saving seeds, we were also, in a way, building up and healing the carbon cycle and the nitrogen cycle. And we held sessions at the big Copenhagen summit on how chemical farming is 50% of the climate problem, ecological organic biodiverse farming is a 100% solution, not just of the climate problem, but of the food problem, of the water problem, of the land degradation problem.
1: The kind of conservation agriculture that Shiva describes is a tool to mitigate climate change. There's no tilling, which releases carbon into the air, and there's no synthetic fertilizers or pesticides made from fossil fuels. Instead, you will see multiple crop rotations and the use of cover crops, which absorb carbon rather than emit it. With these practices, an average of half a ton of carbon per acre can be sequestered from the air into the soil every year. These findings have been cited by organizations from the UN's FAO to the Rodale Institute and Project Drawdown. Studies show that conventional agriculture releases greenhouse gas emissions and is a big contributor to global warming. Regenerative practices reverse it. In fact, the old mixed cropping systems of Uttarakhand follow these exact principles. Pramod Kimoti, the farm manager at Navdanya, told
2: me more.
1: Put simply, in Uttarakhand's baranaja system, 12 grains are intercropped together. Some will provide support for the other. Some fix nitrogen in the soil and some keep pests away. In challenging conditions, some will thrive even if others fail. The Bharanaja system depends on a mix of cereals, pulses, creepers and vegetables. But integral to this system is millet. Once a staple grain in these parts, millets are often described as a miracle crop because they are so drought and heat tolerant. Millets are far more climate
2: resilient than wheat, and even rice. It is anticipated that if this temperature rise continues in the way that it does, uh, we might just lose wheat completely from North India. So what are our preparations?
1: Have we looked at millets as an alternative? That was Suman Sahai, a geneticist. She says millets, unlike more commercial grains, can survive in poor soils, without irrigation or chemical inputs. Sahai is trying to revive millet cultivation and consumption to help farmers in Uttarakhand adapt to climate change, and also to help mitigate it. She broke down the science of what makes these grains so resilient. The the advantage that millets have is also because they
2: are C4 crops, as against wheat and rice, which are C3 crops. All that it means is that the millet group of plants will produce, has higher photosynthesis happening even when the conditions are not optimal. And uh, will therefore, the plant growth will not be so affected. The seed setting will not be so affected. Uh, And that is why they they are so much more suited to the coming uh, climate conditions that we will face. And especially in mountain areas where uh, the
1: conditions are marginal as it is. Through her organization Gene Campaign, Sahai conducts demos and workshops for women farmers in around 100 villages across the state. At her farm in Orakan, she also conducts research trials with different varieties of millets. And just like at Navdanya, farmers are invited to select what they feel will do well on their own plots of land. But even if millets are the perfect solution to climate change in the hills, for the most part, these hardy subsistence crops are well on their way to being displaced. Many millet varieties have been lost from the fields, and others are only used as green fodder for cattle. One big problem is that the kids these days refuse to eat it. <laughs> That was Lakshmi Adhikari. She's part of the Umang Women's Self-Help Group. Even though it's nutritious, her family doesn't eat madua or finger millet as much as they used to, she said. Her children just don't like the taste. I heard the same story wherever I went. Finger millet is a dark, earthy grain. It contains way more calcium and iron than most other cereals. But it doesn't have the bland softness of wheat or white rice that people are used to now. The women I met in Rani Ranikhet told me that their kids won't even look at Madua. They'll go so far as to check that there are no millets on the plate before eating. Tastes have changed, in part because wheat and rice have been promoted by the government since the Green Revolution. But now, of course, convenience foods have a role to play too.
2: We have a new development markers like maggie, pasta, <laughs> pizza. <laughs> so what is the problem now that we are not growing and cultivating our traditional food and millets? We have abandoned that crop for that
0: purpose.
1: That was Subrat Sharma, the climate scientist I met with at the GB Pant Institute in Almora. He said he's seeing this happen across Uttarakhand. It's not just the flavour that the younger generation struggles with. Millets lack the coolness of modern fast food too. There are other cultural aversions as well. Sahai so told me that she comes up against them every day.
2: I was sitting in, in a meeting one day and, I, and we got the kids to come and meet and sit down as well. So I asked one little girl, not so little but 10 years old, and I said, Why don't you eat maduwa ki roti? Why don't you eat a millet roti? And she says, because I'll get dark. So I said, well, you are dark already. Your grandmother, who has eaten only millet rotis, she's very fair. So I don't know what you're complaining about. Uh, And fair and dark is hardly something that you should be bothered about. Are you healthy? Your grandmother's very healthy.
1: These coarse grains have a serious image problem across much of India, not just in Uttarakhand. Increasing demand requires policy incentives and subsidies and price supports. Better yields are important too if millets are to become economically viable. Sahai told me she's found promising results using SRI techniques to intensify millet production. SRI, or system of rice intensification, is basically a methodology which uses older seedlings and more spaced out planting. Its advocates say it increases productivity. But local communities still have to want to grow millets and eat them. That's why Sahai's found herself experimenting with different recipes to show people that what's traditional can be new and tasty too. Of course, junk food is their most favorite
2: food. So what is the most favorite food? Kurkure. And I said, let's make millet kurkures, because let them eat it in whichever way they want. Uh, but let them start eating it. So we have done lots of little trainings and workshops with the kids and their mothers together, making fun stuff with millets. What's not to like? What is kurkure? It is cornstarch with salt and spices. You put the salt and spices into millet and then, <laughs> and then they eat it. And then we made laddus and halwa and sweet things. The other runaway hit is maggie. Now, if you can make millet noodles, which is what we intend to try, have
1: your maggie. But have a millet maggie. One way to bring millets back into cultivation is to make them more appealing to the younger generation. And if that means using Madua to make crunchy snacks like kurkure or noodles like maggie, Sahai is fine with it. At Navdanya, near Dehradun, they're doing something similar. There they found that Madua became popular once they started using it to make biscuits and desserts instead of roti. And sometimes for variety, they would make millet idlis and dosas, inspired by South Indian staples. Of course, another way to promote millets is to preserve old recipes and try and keep regional culinary traditions intact.
2: That
1: was Aranya Ranjan, the founder of a rural development organization called the Uttarakhand Jan Jagrati Sansthan. Ranjan helped the village of Tipli set up its weather station and he helps farmers there get better prices for their crops. He told me he's been going to village homes he sits with the elders and tries to document the old food traditions. In the higher altitudes of Saramoli, similar efforts have resulted in a cookbook. I spoke to Basanti, one of the members of the women's collective, Mati Sangathan, and she told me more.
0: In the recipe book, our old food, gajar um, madwe ki roti
1: To assemble the book, the women went out and collected recipes for traditional dishes that they rarely make anymore, she told me. Now, when they cook the old grains, they remember their elders and the way they used to eat. Food really is an important issue for the Mati Sangatan. Its founder, Malika Virdi, told me that they even plan to start a cafe soon.
2: (laughs) <laughs>
1: Beerti said their cafe will celebrate local dishes. There'll be soup made with timur, a kind of shazwan pepper, and chutney made with bhang, or cannabis seeds. When visitors who come to the homestays say that they like trying these local foods, it helps the community take pride in them too, she told me. So in different ways, all these groups... Mati Sangathan, Jan Jagrati Sansthan, Navdanya, Jean Campaign, they're all helping to promote the traditional grains that will be better for Uttarakhand's farmers and for its changing climate. And it's not just because Madua is more sustainable or that it's nutritious. For the women farmers here, there's a financial incentive to selling millets and millet-based snacks too.
2: So the income generation for women through millets is a course that we selected because millets has always been a woman's crop. It is not a man's crop. Uh, And now that it's gone out of fashion, there's no interest. The men have no interest in it. So we are promoting millets, also understanding that it's a woman's crop, that they know how to cultivate it.
1: It's their know-how. Suman Sahai explained that unlike fruits grown in orchards or commercially cultivated vegetables, millets have always been a crop that women grew just for the household. So if millets begin to be valued as more than just a subsistence crop, that would directly empower the women growing them, Sahai told me. If there's a market for the products that they make from it, like biscuits or noodles, even better. In a mountain state like Uttarakhand, this is especially important. Because like we heard earlier, it's the women who now make up the majority of the workforce in agriculture here.
0: All farmers of are women. All farmers of are women. As most farmers of the world were. It's when commodity agriculture and chemical agriculture comes in that women get displaced and the men take over. The Green Revolution displaced women in agriculture and ecological agriculture. And biodiversity is the place to bring women's leadership back.
1: The crop scientists I spoke to were quick to dismiss these as romantic ideas, regressive even. But for Vandana Shiva and for so many others in the Himalayan region, the agriculture of the future looks a lot like farming in the past. At the same time, communities in the hills are finding that their old food habits might just be what safeguards them against a new and unfamiliar climate. And in Uttarakhand, just like the rest of the world, it looks like drawing down emissions will depend on women drawing together and rising up. This three-part series on climate change in the mid-hills of the central Himalaya was produced with the support of the Earth Journalism Network. For the Food Radio Project, this is Amrita Gupta.